0: And welcome to ADAPEC Energy Dialogues, a series of conversations we're bringing you in the run up to ADAPEC 2020, taking place this November virtually. And uh, this is a series of conversations with industry leading uh, analysts and experts uh, where we explore the challenges facing the industry. Uh, at uh, a specific focus on digital at this time in the energy industry cycle. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Nate Clark, who is Deloitte U.S. uh, leader for the oil and gas industry vertical. Nate, welcome to ADAPEC Energy Dialogues.
1: Thanks so much, Jeffrey. It's always great to speak to you.
0: And uh, today we're going to discuss uh, the future of energy in a broader context with digital because digital is unlocking new ways for us to think about uh, uh, energy. Nate, perhaps you could sketch out um, uh, just in brief how you see the, the energy world and the digital world now starting to become more enmeshed and in a, in a, ki- in a kind of convergence.
1: It's a good question. I mean, Digital has been something that, first of all, has affected all of our personal lives in terms of multiplying our personal effectiveness and uh, how we spend our time. Uh, Certainly see the same thing happening for all energy companies and and also how they engage the market. Uh, So a couple of reflections in that. Certainly the, the first way in which I see most energy companies using digital has been to increase the efficiency of their operations. There's no question that the economics of any oil and gas producer. Uh, uh, are very, very tied to how their operations uh, are are conducted. And so if you can bring the analytic mindset and the efficiency gains that a digital approach uh, can generate, uh, you can increase that efficiency. If you increase those efficiencies, you can increase margins, which makes those companies uh, certainly more effective. But the other piece is in terms of how those companies are bringing things into the marketplace. So if you go one step removed from operations in terms of how they're taking their commodities and putting them in the marketplace. Although we usually treat commodities as just that, as, as all equal, if you can do a better job of looking at the market and supplying it in the right ways, again, by being using digital uh, analytic enablement, uh, you could be a more effective participant in the market. And beyond that as well are companies that don't see themselves as oil and gas players but as energy companies and applying their knowledge around how to operate assets efficiently to operate alternate sources of power or chemicals or other areas. And the final one, all the way out, is companies that are engaging the consumers. So uh, with the scale of digital technology and analytics, uh, there's no reason you couldn't theoretically uh, look at how uh, individual consumers or individual companies are uh, using energy and do a better job of predicting their needs and getting them what they need. Uh, and that's from alternate sources or traditional ones.
0: In our in our future world of energy, does this imply that the customer relationship might now
1: suddenly be in play? Certainly, and that's where that's a very exciting portion of this. So, a customer relationship is always incredibly valuable, and uh, although in many cases traditional oil and gas companies have considered themselves a little distant from their customers because they're supplying at least on the upstream side into a an overall global market. Certainly, there's the C-suite uh, the c C-store uh, aspect of things in terms of where people refuel their vehicles and uh, uh, do other transactions. But there's another aspect of that. We've seen c- uh, some companies uh, look at how they're managing those transactions in terms of uh, other digital applications that make maybe this store a more convenient one to stop at. Uh, certainly, uh, the revolution that's happened in retail affects the oil and gas industry as well in terms of how those relationships operate. Uh, The other piece of it is that if you do go to that same location every few days, every week to refuel, there's a lot of other things that you can generate from that relationship. And so we see a lot of companies thinking about how do I monetize all my assets, including the customer relationship as an asset.
0: So some of these lessons, though, have to uh, out of the retail side have to uh, have some bearing, I would think, on uh, companies further up the value chain who don't see themselves as having a customer uh, directly. If they are are indeed a commodity player, Uh, how how should they be thinking about this? Should they are they? I mean, is there is the customer relationship uh, uh, in itself morphing throughout the whole of that chain, or at least in part for some companies?
1: Every company has customers uh, of one sort or another. There's are so traditional consumers that I was discussing a moment ago. But if you are a pure upstream producer and you're trying to service, you're still going into a marketplace, and that might be a chain of chemical plants, that might be refineries, whatever you're serving, knowing that relationship and trying to improve it versus your competition can be differentiated and can create more extra margin for you versus others. So if you, for instance, we've seen some upstream operators, and that's either with an external player or even within their own internal integrated operations, doing a better job of not saying, let the market decide, but let me understand what you need from me in terms of the type of hydrocarbons, uh, the quantities, uh, and saying, how can I do a better job of getting you what you need when you need it, and thus improving that customer relationship instead of simply saying, I'm going to generally access the market. It also makes a difference in terms of, um, another way of saying it, Jeffrey, is that not all oil and gas is created equal. The oil and gas that's there on time and reliably and on spec is more valuable than the stuff that's not. And that's part of having that good customer relationship and operating that relationship effectively.
0: Uh, This also implies though, the definition of value and value creation throughout that supply chain might itself now be on the table. In other words, my, if I'm an upstream producer, value yesterday might have been uh, a production of a barrel and I put that into a commodity market. Value tomorrow could be quite different.
1: That's very true. And so uh, let's let's take that apart for a moment. Uh, For most of the last, let's say 50 years, any oil and gas producer could assume an almost infinite demand, an infinite market. Whenever oil and gas were produced, there was a market that would absorb it. The price and that market varied certainly but their demand was certainly there don't know that can always be assumed in the future we have stabilizing demand we have increasing supply and that creates that that violates that assumption of the infinite market when you do that that creates that reassessment of what you're doing um, if therefore if you don't have an infinite market that's always going to absorb your product do you, how do you be how do you address that because that means we perhaps have too many companies that are producing, and it's going to shrink that market in some way. So it leads to a thought process of saying, all right, well, what am I doing here? How am I creating value? It's not just by supplying this infinite market. It might be by instead saying, my job's not to produce fuels, but rather to help vehicles go. Or it might be to help produce chemicals that people use. And that that alternate definition of value can lead to very different strategic choices which might lead to greater success in the long term outlook:
0: And is there evidence of companies seeing oil and gas today making different decisions about that value
1: equation that, that you know, might
0: be plainly visible for us to really try to study?
1: I won't certainly try to quote some of the place the, uh, some of the media articles, but there are a number of examples of companies that have started to reassess what their mission is. Is it to produce, uh, and we've, this is a bit of a hackneyed phrase, but are we oil and gas companies or energy companies? And so we've seen certainly uh, some companies start to engage in a different relationship with their retail customers, or also engage in different partnerships with areas that, that are, say, non-traditional. Uh, partnerships uh, in terms of uh, companies that engage customers on more of a retail and consumer level, to say, for instance, my job may not be to deliver fuels into an infinite marketplace, Rather, my job and my value creation is to help that vehicle go. And so I'm going to have a direct relationship with the customer. So maybe they subscribe to a fuel delivery service. And maybe that allows me to change over time. If that customer over, uh, shifts to maybe an electric vehicle, maybe I don't deliver fuel to that customer. Maybe I deliver charged batteries or battery exchanges. And that allows me to expand in other ways. Maybe I can also make sure the lubricants are good in that vehicle or any other things that the incredibly valuable customer relationship can garner.
0: To what degree, uh, therefore, could a company even participate in this emerging energy uh, converging world without a significant investment in digital capability? Or is that really one of the linchpins to actually
1: pull this off? I think there's a false premise in there, Jeffrey, which is that digital is usually presumed to be very expensive. And I'd say monetarily, compared to any greenfield asset development or even brownfield workover, digital is fairly capitally light. Uh, the, what, where you do have something that's important to emphasize is the time. And so, across the board, uh, what we've seen is our companies, the companies we advise, not limited by capital, but limited by employee time and let's say management bandwidth. And so if the focus is continuing to operate with things that they have been so far, that limits your ability to go after this. I'd say the greater barrier I've seen, Jeffrey, has been that in the current downturn, people have been responding in traditional ways. Make your workforce as efficient as you can. Take a look at your supplier contracts. Save every uh, ounce of capital and operating expense you can. But there's that opportunity to invest, sometimes not in very expensive ways, in trying to create that digital future.
0: This capital like formula, though, when you think about it, means that I need to free up capacity somewhere in my organization, people time, which is now the constraining factor, so that I can deploy it into these newer and more creative ways of business. Does this imply a step up in investment in, uh, in work process so that I can free up that capacity? Is this one of the places where digital is bound to find a play in oil and gas?
1: This is one of the more difficult ones because there's no question there's a choice to make. There's that hour of time for a key employee to concentrate on this versus something else. So I, I certainly cannot say there's not a step up in investment, but I also think there's a virtuous cycle, and we've seen this in several companies. Small investments in digital free up employee time by automating routine tasks, to also improve the quality of those tasks that freed up time and freed up capital allows you to then reinvest and then reinvest and reinvest. So the key thing here is that, yes, there's an incremental investment, but it can be a small one to start that then snowballs over time to improve. And if it's done correctly, uh, this is not usually something that requires, uh, let's say, board level decisions, but rather only uh, incremental management ones. That said, I don't want to underestimate the cultural change here taking on projects this way in an agile or digital fashion is very different from how most companies have done things in the past
0: yeah there's no no question there is a significant cultural uh, challenge and shift that that the industry will have to go through to embrace things that move this fast in an industry that actually is much more risk averse and, and cautious Uh, And so uh, to what degree is the industry actually evolving and and moving to embrace
1: agile ways of working? I have seen a lot of success with this. Uh, And I think uh, I've seen uh, uh, the clients that I work with have made the transition fairly quickly. And the interesting thing, it's it's easiest to to illustrate it with a bit of a a story. Um, Almost every client I work with goes through the same stages. The first is a stage of doubt where this is, I don't understand. This is very different. I'm uncomfortable. And then the client takes the jump and said, fine, I'll try and experiment with a project or two. And after that, they become very strong advocates. I have yet to see an agile project where people who have both done traditional waterfall type execution and agile, where people have not said, this is a far, the agile methodologies are a far better way of doing things. Now, certainly have I seen mistakes and I've seen uh, other opportunities for improvement. TL companies take this on, yes. But as long as you can overcome that initial resistance, this tends to work pretty quickly. Now, this said, it does take an investment of time to make that shift as well. But I'd say the time is less, if speaking to the leaders who are watching today, the capital and time investment is less uh, important. The critical factor is investment of management capital. Leaders need to say, I want to take this on. I want to permit my teams to make mistakes and attempt this. And the companies I've seen who've made the transition most quickly have had the brave leaders, the ones who are willing to invest their leadership capital and saying, I want this to happen and I'm okay with you guys making some wrong turns along the way.
0: There's been a perception uh, as well in, in industry that digital has failed to deliver and uh, yeah, lots of money going in, the value and the benefits not, not being manifest either to the scale or to the, uh, having the level of impact that, that management likes. How do you square that with uh, a uh, uh, clients who are embracing agile and, and discovering that as they kind of progress their way through adoption, that they actually are getting benefits?
1: It's a very, this is one of the most frequent questions I engage with uh, people on, and there are a couple of dimensions to it. Uh, So first of all, if you are struggling with it as a company, you're not alone. Uh, I think the reason it's hard is because we're used to uh, looking at big investments and evaluating their return. And it's fairly straightforward to do so. We've all talked about ROI or various mechanisms of looking at how a lot of money went into something and what return that created created over time. The problem with digital, if you do it right, it's lots and lots and lots of little projects. And so I had a client describe it in a way I liked, which is that if you're looking at a beach, you don't try to measure the value of every grain of sand. And that's one of the more common mistakes I've seen. Clients uh, that we work with attempt to measure the value of, let's say, a 12-week sprint executed by five people. So the first thing we usually talk about in terms of doing this well and also making sure you are seeing the value of the digitals delivery, is evaluate the program, not the projects. Make sure you're scoping it the right way, and also make sure you are looking at the right time cycles. So another thing we discuss is leading versus lagging indicators. It is unquestionable that you should be looking at fun, uh, <clears throat> economic fundamentals such as revenue, margin, et cetera, in terms of the success failure of a program. The problem is that small digital projects take time to have effects on those metrics. And so taking a page from some of the high tech sector, they don't necessarily take a look at one little project and say, how is that affecting sales? They take a look at how all those projects are going on uh, overall uh, coming together to affect how, let's say, uptake occurs. So as an example, something we encourage companies to do is if you have a project to, Improve some aspect of your operations. Don't just measure operational cost. Measure uptake as a leading indicator. If the field force is very happy at their option to start using this, and you can see that people are voluntarily gravitating to a new way of doing things, it's a strong indicator. There's a reason for it. That's going to whether it's improving their jobs in some way, making things safer for them, and that you'll see over time the impact on O and M. The final piece, and then I'd say this is the most dangerous that I've already referred to, is that with the downturn, everyone's used the traditional methods, which is let's cut headcount, let's cut hang contractors, let's put pressure on our suppliers. And this works and uh, is necessary, but at the same time, the challenge is um, cutting the investments that are going to help you be successful long term versus managing your short term costs.
0: So one of my takeaways from this uh, Nate is that the, uh, the concept of uh, putting programs of change together not just discrete um, projects trials and and tests and you know the results are not going to show up if you if companies are taking too small a, a window on on change are we is oil and gas really do we really are we structured correctly or are go- do governance models have to change in order for oil and gas concerns to even embrace? Uh, programs of digitally-driven change?
1: No, uh, that's a very key point, Jeffrey. <clears throat> uh, I'd say you, you've certainly had one of my key takeaways there, which is to focus on the programs, but also to focus the programs on the right topics. So uh, as an example, and this goes to the governance area, if you can run a digital program, and we've seen this, to improve fairly unimportant parts of your operations, that is ones that don't really help or, uh, your bottom line in any particular way. So if I had, and again, it's not the capital, it's the employee time. If I could take a top-notch digital team and focus them on well construction uh, time, if I could focus them on working capital, or I could focus them on other important aspects of my operations, but for instance, aspects of my finance processes and how fast I close my books, all of those are important areas of my company my ability to improve operations uh, is going to have a much higher impact overall on my company. So we call this the random acts of digital problem. And random acts of digital in the sense that if you have self-directed efforts, uh, you uh, can generate a lot of brilliant, innovative ideas. But they could be only in the areas that are local to where those employees are working versus encouraging and scenting work on problems that are very large. So, as an example, we've seen companies invest time in improving how employees park or how coffee is delivered. Those are interesting, but they're certainly not going to deliver the value of the digital can.
0: Certainly not in the context where we acknowledge at the start that the entire customer relationship now is in play. The whole definition of value may now be shifting. Uh, we may be headed into a, p- a period of structural mismatch between supply and demand. Uh, and to be a- aiming energy, digital energy at, at minor items uh, looks to be particularly ill-guided at the moment.
1: Yep, but that's where also it's, it's a, a management opportunity And so uh, I I, uh, personally, uh, certainly a core message for me here today is that these don't cost a lot of money compared to other investments any energy company makes. The expensive thing is the leadership time. So any company has leaders that are effective change agents, can make major change. And there's a lot of momentum within companies that those individuals gravitate to traditional operations roles, as opposed to let's rethink how the operation works entirely. So making a serious choice as to where you spend your best and brightest is a very important aspect to this.
0: Let's just close off uh, this conversation, Nate, on the question of the pandemic, which has been a major driver of change in uh, the broader cut of society. What is your sense as to the impact the pandemic is having in a more longer term way on on the oil and gas and indeed the, the broader energy industry?
1: Certainly, the pandemic has um, well-documented effects in terms of demand for fuel uh, and for some of the major consumers of energy in the economy, uh, both in terms of uh, packaged goods, in terms of transportation, and then the follow-on effects in hospitality and other industries. Uh, So those are some of the short-term impacts, which are very serious. Uh, this is not to uh, to skip at all on the societal impacts, of, uh, the, uh, impacts on uh, individuals' health and, and certain nations. The longer term ones are the ones I'll, I'll focus on for a moment, though. What I have seen is that the concern and doubt around being able to work virtually have largely been erased. Uh, most companies have been successful, some faster, some slower, in working in a highly virtualized way. And by removing a concern that employees can't work in the same place, we've seen some companies go in the direction of saying, "How, how can we fully virtualize? Does plant every plant need its own engineering staff and its own operation center? Or can we centralize some of those? Or and we say centralize is that an organizational centralization only, as opposed to constructing new facilities or doing other uh, taking other uh, type of control center type activities." also if i'm virtualizing even across my own employee base can i be more virtualized with my suppliers is it easy for me to ask my ecosystem to do more things for me and so in a lot of ways the pandemic has been very challenging for society and certainly has long uh, short has serious impact short term i think it's a very big accelerant uh to how digital is being looked at the final piece is that with the downturn, it emphasizes tremendously the need for increased efficiency. So I think it's given digital an even bigger burning platform.
0: Uh, Nate, it's been uh, great to talk to you today. And thank you very much for joining me on Energy Dialogues. And um, love the bow tie.
1: Oh, I, well, I thought you were imitating me, Jeffrey. So <laughs> <laughs> I think thanks. Great talking a- to you as well. <laughs>
0: This has been another episode of uh, Atapak Energy Dialogues, and please tune in again in the near future for uh, another installment. Bye for now.